We'll be reading this morning from Psalm 12. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, and those who say, With our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. This is the word of our Lord. God, your word is very precious to us, and it is amazing to behold. Please open our minds and our eyes to see the wondrous things from your law. Lord, I am a weak man and full of many things that would inhibit your word. Please put them all aside and remove the channel and may your people see only you today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, it's a great privilege to be with you this morning, to be able to open God's word for you. Um, I pray that you'll be edified. Just a couple introductory notes about the psalm before we get going. Um, Addison told us a few weeks back that some psalms are like sandwiches. They have um, layers that kind of build to a middle. It's called a chiasm. It's a poetic device that was used in the Psalms often and other places throughout Scripture too, but mostly in the Psalms. Um, so today, rather than walking from front to back, we'll walk through the pieces of the chiasm that correspond to one another. So the outer portion, the next portion, in, and then the center. Um, and Basically, this psalm is designed so that it will display something of your own wickedness, but also something of God's beautiful promises to us. We're going to see how wicked the words of men really are, and I think the words in this psalm are the focus, but they're an avenue just to show us our hearts. But then, on the flip side, we get to see... God's beautiful promises of his word and that which will hold us fast, keep us safe, and the purity of, a, of it will purify us. That's how the chiasm kind of points toward the center um, and will, will help us understand that. So verses 1 through 4 and 8 are the outer layer. That'll be our first section, the wicked words of men. The second section will be verses 5 and 7, the promises of God. 
And then the final portion will be verse 6, and this will be kind of the crux of the psalm, the pure words of the, of the Lord. Let's begin with verses 1 through 4 and 8. Look with me at verse 1. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Um, in verses following, you'll, you'll see descriptions, and we'll get to those in a minute, of what these wicked words are like. But what I want you to notice is that it seems to be describing people who once were faithful. Um, if you recall, if you were here during our sermon series on Hebrews, um, we went over a passage there that talked about how there are some who tasted the gifts and the goodness of God. They, ta- they, they seem to have a measure of the things of God, but they threw it away and left. Um, of course, John writes that if they went out from us, they were never of us. But there is still a warning here to all of you. You can begin to slip, and there's, there's nothing in you that would prevent that on your own. You are, you are just as vile and just as wicked as the person on the street. And even if you see godliness in your life and you see faithfulness in your life, praise the Lord for those things, but never presume upon those as your own. You may, um, you may begin to slip away. God will keep you and bring you back, but you can still grieve the Spirit of God. This psalm, though, talks of people who slipped away completely uh, from the faith. So we're going to walk through these, um, these descriptives here, and we're going to kind of see what, um, what, what these people are like, so to speak. So verse 2, everyone utters lies to his neighbor. Um, a primary feature of the sinner's words is that they're lies. Um, not only because they don't inhabit the words of God, but because they choose to lie all the time. Um, we still do that, of course, but lying is, is rampant. And especially among those who have nothing true to protect. We lie to cover up something. Um, and people... People who are uh, without Christ, they do this more, more chronically. And then in the rest of the verse, too, we see flattering lips and a double heart. Now, what are those things? So that they're, they're forms of the same thing. Flattering lips, I, I lead you to believe something that's true about me that's not really true. Maybe I'm not telling you something outright that's a lie, but I'm, I'm, I'm flattering you with, um, with things that you want to hear or that I want you to hear. And double-hearted people, at the end of verse 2, are those that say one thing and live another. Those are the people that most can, can cause some of the most heartbreak in your lives, that lead you to believe one thing and then reveal their true colors later on. Look with me now at verse 3. It says, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, Stop right there. Not only will men tend to lie and tend to be full of deceit, they tend to boast about it as well. And they boast in the things that they know are not true. What are some of those things? Verse 4, 
Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, and our lips are, are with us. Who is master over us? They presume upon their own ability to account for themselves, or to empower themselves, or to control themselves, their own lives. They, they think that they can rule in their own dominion. Right? This is one of the great contrasts which we see between um, man and Christ. Man thinks that he rules over himself, when in reality, Christ is the only king. And in verse 8, on every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Men are known to speak wickedness, plain, straight, wicked words, and they exalt things that are vile. They love their sin. And again, this may sound harsh, but it really does describe every one of you sitting in this room, myself included. We are all full of these wicked things, and we are all full of lies, we're full of deceit, we're full of false boasting, and we presume upon our own ability to rule our lives. We're so futile, and we're so tiny, and we think we're so much more than that. Let's move on to verses 5 and 7. So this is, this is where we begin to see the promises of God in light of the wickedness of man, the wicked words of men. Look at me at verse 5. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Down at verse 7, you, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. One of the consequences of wicked words and wicked men is that it will hurt others. And we inevitably hurt one another. But the Lord looks upon us and says, I will now arise and do what? Remember back in verse 1, save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. David is asking the Lord to save. He's looking out over the people, and he's seeing so much wickedness where there once wasn't. And he's, he's crying out to the Lord, saying, Lord, please, please save. Please come intervene and, and work, work among us in, in, a, in a saving way. The Lord says, I will now arise and answer that. But how? He says, I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord promises himself to be the one to come and place us in safety. We don't have to rely upon our own strength, any of it, in any way, to keep us safe from the influence of wicked men. If you are in Christ, you can trust that the Lord has promised to keep you safe and that he will do it. In verse 7, he gets a little more specific. You, O Lord, will keep them. So not only will the Lord be the one to give us safety, he will, in fact, be our safety. You will keep them and guard them from this generation, this generation being, being the wicked uh, the wicked speaking people. The Lord is our safety. The Lord is our shepherd, David says in Psalm 23. 
Um, very similar idea here. He keeps those who are his own away from the influence of the world. Now we've come to verse 6. And this is where uh, the real meat is to be found of our, of our chiastic sandwich. Um, look with me. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. I love this verse. Um, when I first started looking at this psalm, I really didn't know what to do with it. I was like, great, they're pure. Like, how does that go along? We don't have any descriptions of the words of the Lord in contrast to the words of man, but, but I realized I, I don't need them. They're given to us here. All we have to do is infer the opposites. So I want you to, to look with me. Throughout the psalm, we're going to go back through the wicked words of men and see what would be the opposite of that. And that'll be our description of the words of God. Verse 1, the godly one is gone. So with the words of men, the godly vanish, but the words of the Lord will make you godly. The faithful have vanished with the wicked words of men, but the Lord's words will make you more faithful to him. Verse 2, the words of men are full of lies. The words of the Lord are truth. The words of men flatter the words of the Lord are clean, it is said elsewhere in the Psalms. The words of men are double-hearted or hypocritical, you could say. The word of God has one message and one message only, and that is your own your salvation in Christ. Verse 3, where well, the words of men make false boasts about themselves, but the, Lord, uh, the words of the Lord tell you to boast in the Lord and at the same time, inspire humility in you. Verse 4. The words of men say that they will prevail, but it will, in fact, in the end, be the Lord's words that prevail. The words of men think that they are master over themselves, but the words of the Lord say that Christ is our king, not ourselves. Verse 8, the words of men are full of wickedness. The words of the Lord are full of goodness and righteousness and holiness. The words of men finally exalt vile things, but the word of the Lord exalts our good and gracious Redeemer. I hope that gives you kind of a picture of what you know, a little glimpse into what God's words are like. Of course, we can't fully understand it. If we had a picture, even a more full picture of the glory of God and his word, it would probably fracture us all into a million pieces. But we can see just tiny little bits of it here that teach us something of not only who God is, but what we're going to get when we open the Bible. And amazingly, if you look back at verse 6, the words of the Lord being the answer to the promise of God you are given this book, and I don't think that's something that we think about very often, but you have it sitting in your lap. It is something that we, 
we hold and take for granted, but if you look throughout history, people have not only died for this book, they've bled, they've suffered, they've walked smiling to murderous graves for this book, and it is something that you get to hold in your hand. Why would you not read it? It is something that is beyond measure in its ability to change you, to make you love the Lord, and we'll look at this more later, but it's, it's a treasure beyond worth. So I would encourage you, Take it and read it. As we saw just a minute ago, the words of the Lord are pure in contrast to the words of man. But then David says, that's not, that's not enough. Let me take you one step higher. It is like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. There's a lot packed into that statement. I had to look up the purifying process for silver because I wasn't sure exactly how it was done. Um, so silver is, in short, it's harvested from ore, which is it's interspersed with other metals into rock. They cut out the rock, they crush it, and then they heat up the crushed rock that's intermixed with silver to over 1,600 degrees Fahrenheit. And that is what will melt silver. That's the melting point, I'm pretty sure. And it runs out along with a lot of other metals that are probably mixed in the rock, and then it's, it's put into a vat um, or a furnace, as described in the Bible, and it's heated up, and the metals separate when they're in liquid form, usually. And I don't understand the particulars of this process, but they're separated via heat over and over again until you have just what you're looking for, just pure silver. So... This book was never imperfect. But just for the sake of analogy, think with me for a minute. Imagine, maybe your own words even, sifted, crushed, put into a furnace, seared with white-hot fire, separated the good from the bad over and over it with increasing levels of detail. And seven is the biblical number for completeness, we see, uh, often throughout Scripture. So you could read it like... the. They are like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified a complete number of times. In other words, there's no fault to be found there. There's nothing in God's word that is with fault, with error, or inerrant, or not inerrant. Sorry, double negative. Um, but there's, like, the, the, the book has not only all things you need, but nothing you don't need. You see that? Like, it's so pure that you can't even understand its purity. Everything in our lives is touched with sin. The water we drink, we think it's clean because it doesn't make us sick. And it is clean, but it's not exactly pure water. There are other minerals and, and some chemicals from treatment that are left in there. Even that is not pure, 100% pure. Even the air we breathe isn't 100% pure. I mean, Denver has pretty clean air, but it's... It's not perfect. It's still, I mean, my wife has eyes that are like swollen up right now because allergies are everywhere. You know, we have, like, we, we can't see anything in life that is as pure as what we see in God and in his word. And so we can't really conceive of it. But know that it is beyond your comprehension, just like the holiness of God. It is with, without any fault. It is completely pure. And there's nothing bad to be found in him or in what he has said. So, 
With that being said, um, I was inspired by my pastor Robert this week um, to focus more on application as the Puritans did. So we have several different points of application today. First, um, I want you to see in this text a picture of the gospel. We have the great divine dilemma, as it were, put on display here. How can a just and holy God pardon wicked men? Because it says in here that he does. He places them in safety and he gives them his pure words, but, but then just before and after we're described to be so wicked. How does, how does that work? Of course, if you look at the words of the Lord, you also must look at the incarnate word of the Lord, Jesus Christ. He is the one who is able to discharge the debt, as it were, that you owe for all these things in this psalm that you've said. He is the one that is able to stand before the Father and say, no, I, my blood is paid for this man. Go purify him with your word. And so as children of God who have been renewed and redeemed by Christ, we can look at the psalm and we can say, yes, we can pray for God's word to purify us, to make us clean, to purge us from the sin and the filth. It's the only truly pure thing we have. So of course it's the thing that we would need to cleanse us from the sin that constantly entangles us. Um, next, I have, um, I have consulted Puritan pastor Thomas Boston. Um, in his Body of Divinity, he writes um, on, in his section on scripture, um, he writes on, um, his application is like crazy. It's so long. It's I probably twice the length of my sermon. But it's, he, in the, at the end of it all, he has eight motivations for you to be in the Word of God. He says, I shall now give some, motiva- some motives to enforce this important duty of reading the Scriptures. You are supposed to be reading the Bible if you, if you wish to be a continually productive Christian, a continually sanctifying Christian. And... These are meant to spur you on toward that end. So I'm going to read them. We'll talk a little bit about them. And then we'll close. Number one. This is about reading the word of God. God requires it of us, and he commands us to do it. In John 5, um, Jesus says, search the scriptures. In Acts 17, the Bereans were commended for searching the scriptures. We are told not only to search them, but we're commended for doing them. It is something that you need to be doing in your life. You will regress. You will not remain constant. You will regress outside of the word of God. And you will begin to see the fruit of neglect, which is sin. If you don't stay in the word. So that is why the Lord requires this of us. He says, the Jews had the scriptures committed to them, but God, but did God design them that they should only have them in the temple? No, they had them in their houses also. They had little things that they would put on their foreheads and their wrists to remind them of what God had told them. 
Number two, the very being of the Bible among us is enough to move us to study it. So as I mentioned earlier, it's a priceless treasure to have this book. The very fact that you have the word of the incarnate God sitting in your lap, the one who formed you, should be more than enough motivation to make you read it. And don't get me wrong, I'm as guilty as anyone of neglect of the word of God, but, but I hope that this inspires us to, rem- to remember the weight of our Bibles. He says, through the Bible, God speaks to us, and we hear and receive his words at his mouth. It, it, is, it, is, our, it is our means to communion with him. He has spoken The fact that we have it means we can hear from God, and we should, daily. Number three, it is an exercise very pleasing to God when it is done in a right manner, namely in faith. Reading the word. When you read the word of God in faith, and you trust the Lord at at his word, what he has said, It is pleasing to him. He says, for thereby God speaks to us. And he says, um, there is a particular blessing attached to this exercise. Blessed is he that reads, Revelation chapter 1. It pleases the Lord such that we are blessed by doing it. And we may not see specific blessings in scripture articulated, but I think we can all understand that when we, when we see the fruit of the red word of God in our life begin to show up, we see the blessings of reading it coming to light. Number four, consider, he writes, what a great privilege it is that we have the scriptures to read and study at this day, at this day being the key word here. He's not repeating himself. So, he, he, he takes you back through Moses and Abraham and, um, and David's day and all these things. Moses didn't have the scriptures. He wrote them, the first five books. He could only hear from God from time to time. David, fast forward a long time, we get to David, and he basically just had the Pentateuch. He didn't have, he didn't have much more than that. Remember, he's living in the time of some of the early books of the Bible, the first and second Samuel, the Kings. And he's writing a lot of the Psalms. And he writes in the Psalms how much he loves the law and the word of the Lord. And how blessed he feels to be able to hear from God and read his word. And he's only got basically Genesis through Deuteronomy. I mean, we have so much more than that. And we have so much more to hear from God. Um, Or consider... The days before the Protestant Reformation, he said, when the Bibles were kept out of the common household and they were reserved for the clergy, or they were reserved for the the Roman Catholic Church. And on top of that, many twisted interpretations were being fed to people, and the true gospel wasn't really getting out to them. And so we are so blessed to live in a day where the Bible is accessible to us, and not only accessible, but accessible in its entirety. 
You know, Hebrews tells us that we are blessed to live in the days that we do live in because we have all of this. We're, we're, we're so much more blessed than the prophets or the kings back in the day because we have all of this. And it's not, you know, we, we think that we have something missing because we don't hear God speak audibly once every hundred years or 50 years to his people. But just think how much better it is to read what he has written daily. Just think. Number five, he writes, consider it has been the way of the people of God to be much addicted to and conversant in the scripture. I love that. Are you addicted to your Bible? (laughs) I think I like his language. Um, He says, take heed that you would go forth by the footsteps of the flock and will not and you will not find them in the way of sliding, but prizing the word of God. The saints have been known for all of church history to prize the word of God, all of biblical history, in fact. You look all the way back to, but we just mentioned David, how I love your law, how I love your words, over and over and over again. We see the word of God just treasured, treasured by his people. And we're so flippant with it. And we're so easy to set it aside, to say, I'm too tired, I'm too this, I'm too that, or I would rather do something else, or whatever our excuse is. And really do a heart check on this one. Look at your heart. Like, you have the Bible. I know I keep on saying this, but you, you really do have it. It's right there. Like, it's, it's, it's so to be prized, and it's so beyond value that you that you must treasure it beyond your next meal, beyond your sleep tomorrow night, if that's what it means. And I'm serious. That's, that's the weight of Scripture. And we see, and as, as Boston points out, you shall find the saints all highly prizing the word. Psalm 19, we just read, um, we just heard Tim preach on that recently. Oh, it, it's the second half of it is just an exaltation about God's words. It's wonderful. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. It's King James. It's a little clunky, but the same thing. It's, it's just, it's so, I don't, I don't even have words to describe it. I, I'm running out of words. Um, hear how he says it this way. The Spirit of God makes it the character of a godly man to love his word. And then he quotes Psalm 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Pray that God would make you such a person. And a practical way to be made such a person is to be in the word of God more. The more you do it, the more you will love it. Number six, consider the excellency of the scriptures. There is transcendent glory in them. They are... This speaks to the purity aspect of our texts in the psalm. They are pure and excellent. And he goes and, and he gives all these descriptions. They are the best, it is the best of all books. It is the greatest and most, most excellent of the works of God to be seen in the world. This is one of the works of God. It is the oracles of God. It is the laws of heaven given to us. It is Christ's testament to us. It is the sword of the spirit given for our safety and our, our um are fighting against the world, the flesh, and the devil. There's so much benefit to be had in them. And on that note, the next one is the youthfulness of the word. Number seven, 
We're almost through, I promise. The usefulness of the word of God. And then uh, I want to spend a little bit more time on this one because I, I find it, it provides such a beautiful picture of salvation. It is, first, a treasure to the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is life to the dead. John 6, 63, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. It is light to the blind. Psalm 19, 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It is awakening to those that are asleep. Psalm 119, 50, your word has quickened me. It is a word to the Christian soldier, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It is a counselor to those who are in doubts and difficulties and troubles. Your testimonies, Lord, are my counselors, Psalm 119.24. It is a comforter to those that are cast down. Psalm 119.49, remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. It is a comfort to us. And finally, is a cure for all the diseases of the soul. Proverbs 4.22, my words are health to all flesh. There is so much use in the word. And so many of those metaphors that he just lifted are pictures to us of being brought from death to life, being made alive to God when we were dead. It's our salvation. The word is what saves um, I forget exactly what, um, what Addison prayed earlier, but he, he prayed something along the lines of how the word of God, or you know, we pray that we would trust the simple means of grace, the preaching of the word, the gathering of the saints, prayer, things like that. Trust them. God has given them to you, and they are going to accomplish what they were made for. And then his last motivation, consider the honorable epithets. That's a fancy word for name. Consider the honorable names given to the scriptures. He just lists a few of many, but um, they're called the scriptures of truth, the holy scriptures, the book of the Lord. You can go on the book of life, the law of the Lord. Um, so, So many other descriptions that make scripture beautiful, that tell us of the goodness and the wonders of God's word. I know that was kind of a lot, so just to recap, um, why should you be motivated to read the Word of God? God requires it of you. The fact that you have the Bible should be enough to make you read it. It will please God when you do. It is a great privilege that we have them today and not in a different era. people of God have traditionally been much addicted to the scriptures. They are excellent. They are useful for all things, namely your salvation. And they are called many honorable things by God. You have one of the greatest privileges of any person alive. That's your Bible. I know I sound like I'm beating a dead horse here, but it's true. 
and there is no amount of dead horse beating that will make you understand it enough, <laughs> or me understand it enough. So to close, I want to read a, a final quotation by Goodwin, I'm not, sorry, not Goodwin, Thomas Boston. Just so well put. Let such as have Bibles read them frequently and acquaint themselves with the book of the Lord. Read them in your families morning and evening. Read them in secret by yourselves. It should be a piece of your duties in secret. Make the Bible your companion abroad and at home, in the house and in the field. It is lamentable to think how unacquainted with the Bible many are and how little heart they have to it. Such a sad thing, he says. Not only read it, but search into it and study it to know the mind of God that you may do it. Be not superficial in your reading of the scriptures, but do it with application, painfulness, diligence, using all means to read it with understanding. Breaking through the surface that you may come to the hidden treasure therein. The words of the psalmist are, um, are timeless in stating that the, word of the, that the word of God is pure and capable to make you pure. But it can't make you pure if you do not read it. If you do not exercise the gift that you've been given to open it up and seek out God in its pages. So I would encourage you, let, let your heart be open, impressionable, malleable to the word of God, and pray that it would change you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this beautiful, infallible, and inerrant word. God, we pray that you would cause it to change our hearts, that it would make us more like you. Lord, give us an appetite for your word, that we would be much addicted to and conversant in it, as Thomas Boston says. May it be the focus of our hearts, morning and evening, and may we learn to love your law, as the psalmist says. It's in Christ's name we ask all of these things. Amen.